go to uh, Luke chapter 23. We've been uh, looking at the seven sayings of Christ from the cross. The very brief sayings because uh, the man on the cross is struggling for air. They died of suffocation as the pictorial muscles would break down, uh, hanging there. They would uh, suffocate and actually very agonizing death. They'd have to push up with their feet that are nailed to the cross to get the pressure off to take a breath. And actually, uh, people that were crucified uh, were on the cross for days, uh, for uh, seven or eight days sometimes. And uh, Christ is going to die quickly, and we'll see that that's a marvel in this passage today. But uh, we've noted... Um, six of these references to Christ on the cross. Uh, he prayed first, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then speaking to the thief that was a repentant thief, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He saw his mother there, and he said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son, which seems to be in reference to John. And then it says, um, Behold thy mother to John. We find him saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that came after the three hours of darkness. He's going to say, I thirst, not only physically, but thirst for fellowship with his father, spiritual thirst. Last week we found that he said, It is finished. And then today, in our passage, we're going to find him saying, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So let's begin in verse 32 of chapter 23 of Luke. And there were, all, and there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiments and cast lots. And so the first statement. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with him derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And the superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which was hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Dost thou fear God? Dost, dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And so 
a great sermon there. He, he recognized Christ as Lord. He knew he was a king. And Jesus said, and he knew that he was going to live after that day. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. And when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And so we're going to look at this statement in verse 46 where he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. There's been a number of people who have spoken those words in history. Uh, Polycarp said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Augustine is recorded to have said that. Uh, a guy named Bernard, Christopher Columbus even was reported to have said those words. And actually, uh, Psalms 31, we find the psalmist writing, Into thy hand I commend my spirit, thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. And those words are prophetic, but the psalmist, when he wrote those words, he wrote them in, the, in that he was going to be redeemed, that he was going to receive redemption. But when Jesus spoke those words, it wasn't uh, obtaining of salvation, but it was the bringing of salvation when he commended his spirit. So uh, what can we learn from this statement on the cross? Well, uh, I think the, the very first thing we can see here in a number of passages, is that Jesus gave his life. It wasn't taken away from him, uh, but he gave it. He didn't lose it. He didn't die of some kind of a suicidal act, but he simply gave up his life. Look what it says again there in verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having thus, he gave up uh, the ghost. And so the, the, the words are that he uh, gave up the ghost. If we... Uh, if we note over in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 27, we have the same event, but a little bit different wording. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50, we find the, the Lord saying, And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And so these are terms of not uh, something being taken from us, but of willingly uh, yielding. It, when we yield something to some, someone, it's an act of the will. I, I willingly give it up. Uh, Jesus, uh, uh, well, let's go. There's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of verses. I'm, you're going to have to use your fingers today. 
in John chapter 10 and verse 17, he says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I laid down my life, that I might take it again. And then, um, no man, at verse 18, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received from my Father. No other person in history, I guess if you, if you would say suicide, uh, might, might halfway um, fit this verse, but this is not a suicide, but uh, to have power to choose when you're going to die and then have power to take it up again is supernatural. If you look also here in John, let's go over to chapter 18 of John. And it says, when Jesus had spoken these words in John 18, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden into which he entered and, and, his, entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, cometh thither, with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am. And then we have he provided. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Well, I just read that to show you that, that when Jesus said, I am, the supernatural power of deity was expressed there. And it wasn't a bunch of uh, three stooges that are stumbling into each other, but they all fell down. That, that What I'm saying to you is this, is that Jesus, even in the garden, wasn't seized out of his control, but he willingly submitted, willingly uh, went with the soldiers. In uh, at the same moment of time when Peter pulled out his sword and cut the high priest's servant's ear off, uh, Jesus said in Matthew, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? And I don't remember, but I think that a, a legion could comprise up to 2,000. But anyway, he had the ability to call for help. He didn't need help. He already saw that when he said, I am. But he is not... Uh, he is not having his life seized from him. Go back with me to uh, Matthew chapter 27. I don't feel like this is flowing too good here, but we'll get warmed up pretty quick. My, when I go walking, I find that I have to walk about 100 yards before a 
my body limbers up and knows I'm not uh, trying to persecute it. <laughs> um, Matthew 27 and 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land to the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them stood there where they heard that said, the man called for Elijah. And straight one of them filled this, uh, filled one of the, them ran and stood took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. And he and the rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And what I want you to see here in verse 46 and in verse 46 and in verse 50, there's a term repeated, and it says that he cried with a loud voice. It's not as though his uh, life is ebbing from him. You've seen pictures, or maybe you've had to uh, experience that when a person is about to die, they'll, they'll say, come over here, and, they, and they, all they can do really is whisper. Their, their, their life is flowing from them. But here, just moments before Jesus yields up the ghost, yields up the spirit, he cries with a loud voice. He still, got, he still has the power within him to speak a very loud very vocally, and uh, it's not as though this gradually, there's a loss of blood and the difference, the suffering, it's not gradually that his, his life is just slowly ebbing from him. And uh, the, the, uh, the fact that the soldiers uh, spoke about how that this death was unusual. They were experienced at crucifixion. They knew what took place at crucifixion. And uh, they, were, they were actually shocked that he would die so soon or that he was already dead. Uh, they, uh, the Jews, the Jews uh, encouraged Pilate to, well, let's go there in John chapter 19. The ground was cursed. There's an Old Testament prophecy or principle that the ground is cursed when somebody is hanging on a tree and they need to take it down for the Passover. And in John 19 and 31, and the Jews, therefore, because it was a preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day, and so for bodies to be upon the cross was going to desecrate the Sabbath day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. And so this is where we get, you get this understanding that we can no longer push up, that they can no longer push up to breathe. 
that, that suffocation would take place more quickly, and so they're going to break their legs. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and the other which was crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. And that's kind of a fulfillment of the type that's in the Passover lamb where the legs, no bones were broken in that Passover lamb. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. Uh, the pericardium that surrounds the heart has serum in it, water in it, and then blood. And it's obvious that Jesus is dead and they made sure that he was dead. But what I'm pointing out to you is that the two others that were crucified there did not have the power to die like Jesus had the power to die. That, they, that their legs had to be uh, broken. And so his death was very unusual. It wasn't something that, that uh, was stolen from him or seized from him. And uh, in fact, uh, the, the soldiers are going to go and, and, and talk to Pilate about this. If you go to uh, Mark chapter 15, it gives us, Mark gives us a comment about what's happening over at, at Pilate's Hall. And uh, in Mark chapter 15 and verse 42. Now when the evening was come, because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph Arthur, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went boldly into Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. Now, I believe that uh, the Joseph of Arimathea was saved before this moment, but he was a secret disciple. And uh, what brought him out of the woodwork? Why is he no longer secret? Because now, see, Joseph of Arimathea, our honorable counselor, implies that he was part of the Sanhedrin and uh, the Sanhedrin were going to make sure that they took the Passover. But Joseph is going to go touch a body and he's going to be unclean. And he can't take the Passover because he's unclean. What brought him out of the woodwork? Well, he saw Jesus die for his sin. He saw him die an unusual death. He saw him die not for himself. And so he goes to claim the body. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead. And calling, upon, calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew of it, the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And so... <clears throat> Why, why all these words? Why, why so many accounts about yielding, giving up the ghost, the amazement of the soldier that by the cross, the marvel of Pilate who understood that crucifixion took days? Why all this recorded in the Bible? Well, to... to uh, to emphasize that Jesus 
gave his life, that it wasn't taken from him, it was given. In John 10, he says, When Jesus therefore had received the vineyard, he said, It is finished, and bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. That's important wording. <clears throat> Again, let me read it for you. He said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost, the ghost, his spirit. It doesn't say he gave up the ghost and bowed his head. And why is that significant? Well, uh, physiologically, the fact that when a, when a person is dying, I've observed this on one occasion. I, don't, I hope that none of you have to observe it. But when a person comes to the moment of death, he, his, his um, makeup is to fight to the end. And they're going to raise their head and they're going to try to get air in. They're going to, it's fighting, the body fights against death right down to the end. And so it's always the cerebral cortex, which controls the back of your brain, controls your breathing and your heart and those things. That is functioning and it's trying to keep you alive. And uh, the author of the Gold from Golgotha said this, it is physiological fact that a dying person, particularly if he happens to lie in a half reclining posture, invariably raises his head at the final moment, or at least attempts to do so. It's nature's last effort to fill the lungs with the life-giving oxygen. The heart ceases to beat, the head falls upon the breast, and not until then does he die. But Jesus bowed his head before he died. So what's the point? Uh, People will raise their head and fight for air. Jesus bowed his head, his chin upon his breast, and he gave up the ghost. To remind us of this, Jesus did not have to die for you. He willingly died for you. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Peter said, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened in the spirit. In 1 John, it says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, 
and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And so, uh, the first point is that he gave uh, his life. The second thing, not necessarily in order, but or of importance, but the second thing I notice about this is that Jesus is back in uh, communication with the Father. That word, Father. Let's let's uh, let's go back and review again. When this starts out, uh, Jesus is in the garden, and he prays, "Father, not my will, but thine be done." And the relationship between God the Son and God the Father is there. He hangs on the cross. He sees the multitude. He knows their motives and their actions, and he knows their heart. And, and though God is using them, he knows that what they're doing is not uh, it's sinful. And so he addresses the Father, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Still in communication with the Father. And then he says, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And here still working with the Father and seeking lost and uh, pointing men to, to himself and giving the promise of eternal life. And then he shows honor pleasing the Father in honoring his mother, the fourth commandment is to honor thy father and mother. And here he says, woman, behold thy son and behold thy mother to John. And here he's pleasing God the Father and obeying, uh, not the fourth commandment, but the fifth commandment. <clears throat> but then the relationship breaks down. And the words of Father between Christ and God the Son and God the Father ceases to be. And he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He didn't say, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? But he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And as we read those verses, we saw in Psalms 22 that he says the same words, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And Psalms 22 goes down and, and then he says, but thou art holy. He cried out being forsaken, but he acknowledges that God is holy. And so what is taking place here in verse 4 is not uh, just a a kinship thing between God the Father and God the Son, 
but it's but it is Christ standing in the place of this lost world, of the sins of mankind, and standing in the place of not a father punishing his son, but God bringing forth his propitiation, the payment that satisfies the wrath of God against sin that would come about. And so it's a relationship that my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me has changed from the terminology of a family and he stands all we like sheep have gone astray and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. No longer in the father-son relationship. He who knew no sin had became sin for us. And then the cry comes from the cross, I thirst. And we saw that that was to fulfill prophecy, but it also was an indication of what was going on. And uh, we talked to you about the vinegar and water and how the, the soldiers had that and, uh, and that it purified the water. But he cries, I thirst. Naturally, you know, uh, maybe you know, but when you lo lose blood, whether on the battlefield or accident, that your body craves water. So surely there was a physical aspect of it. But when he said, I thirst, it's kind of like the heart panteth after the water brook. You know, my soul pants after God. That he longed for <laughs> He longed to have the father-son relationship again. He was thirsting. He was thirsting not just uh, physically, but spiritually. That he, that he, that he uh, was forsaken. And then he cries, it is finished. It's been accomplished. Teleos, it's done. Not I am finished, but as we spoke last week, it is finished. The work of redemption is completed. Father, it's done. And uh, now he says, Father. Back in fellowship with God. His payment is complete. And he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. All that waits is for him to taste the physical death of the world. And his spirit goes to the Father and his body goes to the grave where three days later He's going to be raised for our justification, proving that his payment was sufficient.
back in fellowship with God. And so that word father, it uh, ought to speak uh, tremendous things to our soul because uh, now he's back in fellowship with God and uh, we can be in fellowship with God. That he's our heavenly father. That we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ. That, uh, that that it ought to mean something to us that we when we bow for prayer we don't have to say oh thou awesome God though he is awesome oh thou uh, righteous holy one and though he is and that we don't have to have a, a long narrative of praising God and, and uh, exalting God, though he deserves exaltation. But in the midst of my struggle, in the midst of my need, I can say, Father, And as a father pitieth his children, so he pities me. That I can approach him as my father. He's back in fellowship again. And uh, we reap from that. We see here, as we said, that he gave his life, that he's back in fellowship. And thirdly, we see... Thirdly, we see the value of the soul. The words, Father, dry hands, I commend my spirit, are what the Bible says. He didn't say, Father, into thy hands I commend my body. That uh, his body is going to rise again, of course. Our bodies will rise again. And boy, uh, we don't, I don't know, I don't know how many rabbits I can chase this morning. 15 minutes. Um, If you you read over... If you read over in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, man, it's just, it's just so powerful. But it says that body which is sown, it, it compares it to a seed being sown. That body which is sown, it brings forth a plant. And, and uh, when he talks about, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, but uh, I don't say I commend my body, but I commend my spirit. I don't know how I got over on this, but our, our, our souls are housed in a body. That, that uh, who you are 
It's not what you look like. <laughs> uh, we can look in the mirror and be refreshed by that. <laughs> this is not the real me looking here. Uh, but but it's, it's the soul that continues on that we take so much uh, emphasis on uh, keeping this body looking good, keep it from aging, keep it from, uh, you know, from breaking down. And we often neglect the soul. And where I was going to go in 1 Corinthians is that, that what you're looking at day by day in the mirror has no comparison to what you're going to be. It says, it says there in 1 Corinthians that, that you know, it's springtime. We put a little bean seed in the ground. And this is Mr. This is Mr. Pinto Bean. That's what my body looked like, a pinto bean. You know, a brown bean with pinto spots on it. <laughs> but when it grows, when it comes up, I can't draw a good plant here, but it comes up out of the ground and uh, and you'll say, uh, you come along and say, well, you got planted there. And you say, well, I planted some pinto beans. You mean the kind that we eat with our chili? Yeah, pinto beans. Well, what come up was not a pinto bean. It was not a little bean that come out of the ground. This plant is a pinto bean plant, and this seed is a pinto bean. I'm planted in the ground like an old, dried, shriveled up pinto bean. That's my body. But I'm going to get a new body. It's going to be a glorious body. It's going to be rich and green and lush. But I still know it's a pinto bean. I'm still Gene Humphrey, but I'm not the um, old Gene Humphrey. So quit worrying about your body today. <laughs> it's, like, it's like trading in an old Pinto car. <laughs> and if you want to take that with you in eternity, go ahead. But that's not what God has designed for us. He has a glorious body designed for us. And so that's not the most important thing in this world. That's already been determined for us if we're saved. But it's our spirit that our souls might prosper. And, and Jesus puts the emphasis here in the scriptures that into thy hands I commend my spirit that the most important part of us in this life is not my house, but what lives in the house. The house that I live in, 
it's, it's, it's uh, necessary, especially when it's 40 below. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's not the most important thing. It's what lives there. And, and we need to realize that Christ lives within us. And that we need to put the value on the soul. And this is what Jesus did. Somehow we must understand that it's just a tent, the body. And the life is more uh, than just our bodies and our soul at death will go back to God where he'll either assign it a place in heaven or a place in hell. Ecclesiastes says, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. And so we each ought to contemplate what is my destiny of my soul. As I've said, we often stress a lot about the flesh. The Bible says, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And that word destroy means to render useless, to be lost, to be ruined. An eternity of ruin. But if we're saved, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. And so, the destiny of our soul is important. Take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things that the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that he hath need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness shall be added unto you. His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And so let's not neglect the soul Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But Hebrews warns it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. If we're saved, we can commend our soul to the Lord. Know that we're going to live eternally. Know that we're going to we're going to have a body that can split two cords of wood and uh, still get up out of the chair because <laughs> his back is not hurting. Well, uh, Jesus gave his life willingly. Okay, now next week we're going to have a little side side thing. And then and the next week after that, I'll have a substitute teacher. I'll be uh, going to a 93rd birthday for my mother-in-law. I, I figured after 93 years, maybe I should start acting like a son-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and then, and then uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, a number of lessons that I've been working on. Uh, we're going to have ten lessons on ten lies that the world believes, and uh, that's going to be informative for you, and instructive, and focusing, and then. Uh, the Lord willing, uh, and I want you to pray for me, I want to uh, go through Isaiah 52, 13 through 15, and Isaiah chapter 53. And man, uh, I just been, sometimes in the morning for my devotion, and then throughout the day, I've been um, working my way word by word through Isaiah chapter 53. And uh, as I said, uh, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Uh, when I said uh, last week that of the saying, it is finished. When you come to Isaiah chapter 53, which we all know uh, if you've been around Christianity for very long, but it is definitely holy ground. And it's just amazing. Just like yesterday I studied and, and it said, uh, he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. It's talking about his spirit. It's talking about his soul, not just suffering. And there was a travail. When Jesus cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There was a travail in his soul. that we will never know and will never understand. And his father said he was satisfied in what he saw because, again, he wasn't relating to him as his father, but he was relating to him, the God who could forgive sin. Powerful, powerful words that just... Uh, make me bow my head and worship. And so that's the goal of those lessons is to help us to appreciate what has been done for us and to appreciate it to the depth that it says. And... Uh, And as a teacher, I just want you to pray that I do justice to his word, that uh, I could, in a small fashion, break it down to where it would uh, penetrate your soul. Okay? All right. You're dismissed.